Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Quickly just recording a podcast before going and sweating in the gym. That's Heather. That's me. I've not seen you dressed in gym clothes for um, recording a podcast before. No, it's not normal. Um, and Have you just limbered up before? It's not a great look. Uh, last night I was doing Zumba and normally I manage to avoid being anywhere near the mirror because um, I go over to the side of the room where you cut, but I kept seeing, who's that tall, weird looking thing at the back? And it's like, that's me. That's me. So it's not, yeah. Somebody took a picture of a yoga class that I, I did last month. And they posted it on social media. I thought, oh, I'll be in there somewhere. I was like, looking, can't see myself. Oh, is that pile of rags on the floor? Is that me? Oh, no. It's The good thing about where I've been going is that, so where I'm going tonight is a ladies-only gym. And there aren't any mirrors, which is brilliant. Um, And the Zumba is in in an exercise class room. You know, it's just a big room. So there'll be a lot of people who are doing all sorts of activities and need the mirror. I do not need the mirror. The mirror is not helpful because it, it's just reminding me of my body dysmorphia. Um, rather, if I haven't got a mirror, I can kind of um, pretend that it's not even a thing. Okay, good. But there we go. You could wear a blindfold. No, I need to, I need to be able to see what everybody's bloody doing because oh, I'm always going point. in the wrong direction. <laughs> what I've learned is not only am I not terribly fit... But um, that my coordination is shocking. Oh, you don't need to see that reflected back at no, you, do you? No. no, it's yeah, and that you know, leaping from one foot to another, it's not as good as yeah. I'm not jumping as high as I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm barely off the ground. Now, here's the thing. I'm leading with this one, good, because I was inspired by a book I was reading on holiday. So I've just come back from my hollybobs, where I typically like to read a book a day. I haven't done that. I, on average, it was a book every other day this it's year. It's not bad. Because you are with your family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not on your own. Anyway. <laughs> um, In between the family, I managed to read. Yeah, they sort themselves out largely. So... Uh, there was a little extra, and as I was reading it, I thought, oh, I want to discuss this with Heather. So I took a little picture of the thing that inspired me. So I'll first of all tell you what the book is. It's called Wintering by Catherine May, and the subtitle is The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. Okay. That's very nice. I really did enjoy the book. Um, I then went on to read a Neil Gaiman book. Okay, it's just for, different. Yeah, just for a, a diversity. And the woman who sold me the book in the bookshop went, well, that's two very different books. So then she went on to sell me um, two other books <laughs> and said, oh, you might like these. Uh, one was called Whalebone Theatre and another one was called Fight Night. Okay. Anyway, let's go back to wintering. So the thing that caught my eye that I took a picture of uh, was a section about sleep. So wintering is largely about, well, you know, if you're suffering a, um, a traumatic time or you're going through something, uh, whether you're grieving or, or whether 
you, you're facing a challenge, sometimes you just need to slow everything down, mm. retreat, hunker down, and hunker down, hunker down yeah. yeah, and hibernate yeah. until you're fully restored. But this bit was about sleep, and she she was talking about. Um, the fact that sometimes her sleep's disrupted or she finds herself waking up. But then she referred to a book um, by Roger Eckerch called uh, At Day's Close. And he'd done some research about the history of sleep. Have you, you, you're pulling a face at me. I'm, I'm just wondering if I've got a book by him. Oh. Or that book. But anyway. You may well do. Go on. But he was talking about the fact that we, we historically have slept in two separate periods. You have the first sleep and the second sleep. And then a period of waking in the middle of it mm-hmm. called the watch. And that really caught my eye. So, um, so in a night, like if you go to sleep at nine o'clock, you've got one type of sleep. Then you've got the what waking. They call it the watch. The watch. A period of wakefulness, as and it's then, described. Yeah, and then back to sleep. sleep. Back to sleep until dawn. Yeah. Okay. So that prompted me. I thought, well, that sounds very interesting. Prompted me to do a little bit of research, and I found a really good, art, a very detailed article. I, I would add uh, from the Guardian from last January, January twenty two, called "The Forgotten Medieval Habit of Two Sleeps." Oh. Oh, and, it's like a nana nap. <laughs> no, the, the, definitely the two sleeps is a night time oh, one. Okay. But, um, yeah, the nana nap's very definitely an afternoon thing, isn't it? Yeah. But this article refers to the same historian, Roger Eckert. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, when he was researching his book about the history of night time, he discovered by looking through all sorts of documents, including court records, that there was often just casually referred to the first sleep or the second sleep. As just normal it, Just as a normal, yeah, conversation. So it wasn't unusual that people would actually have a, a sleep. And he said in, in the quote in this article, they referred to it as if it was utterly normal. Is that because that was before a time when they had done sleep studies which started to do that sort of you know they were measuring your eye movement and so was it that we all kind of just sort of knew that we were kind of going to sleep and then I think it was just it from the reading this article and I'm not going to read the whole thing through to you but he started to do the research um, around the medieval period and then found that it went a lot further back to a lot more references you know, many hundreds of years before that. It did just seem to be quite natural. And sort of reading between the lines of some of it, it's like, well, you know, perhaps that is because it was a bit dangerous to sleep for a long time. Mm. If you think right back to prehistory, you know, Mm. could you afford to be unconscious for eight hours Mm. when there were predators around or, or, you know... Frost and fire and all sorts of you know yeah. dangers. Yeah. So maybe that just naturally developed, or maybe the circadian rhythms are such that that's how our bodies prefer to sleep. There've been all sorts of studies mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. I think they let me just refer scroll through my notes here. They, there was a study in nineteen ninety five, and there was a sleep experiment done uh, where they actually took fifteen men. 
Um, and after an initial week of observing their normal sleeping patterns, deprive them of artificial night light at night to shorten their hours of daylight um, to just 10 hours of daylight. And the rest of the time they were confined to a bedroom with no lights or windows. And they weren't allowed to play music or exercise and were nudged towards resting and sleeping instead. And they found that naturally their habit did this little separation where they went to sleep but had a period of wakefulness then went back to sleep. There is something very definite about... Do you have blackout blinds in your bedroom? I don't, no. I think there's something... Stuart and I went through a a phase um, of wearing uh, blindfolds at night. Yeah. Because we were waking up and we felt we weren't getting enough sleep in the summer months. We went up to Scotland... Um, and our anniversary is um, June the 25th, which is around the longest day, which is June the 21st. And up in Scotland, of course, the days are really, really long in the in the summer months. And we found that if we put blind, those blindfolds on, we would sleep until our bodies woke us up. And you felt rested. And we you? felt really rested because you were waking up. But they also then say that, you know, sometimes, particularly in the winter, you know, those um, alarm clocks that gently start to introduce light into the room so that you're, yeah, you're woken more naturally. Maybe there's something in that, but Mm. very interesting. So in this article um, in The Guardian, they they give an example of a typical night's sleep in the 17th century. So the 1600s. From as early as 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, um, people would go to sleep. So those fort- fortunate enough to have a mattress would sleep on yeah. a mattress. Uh, but interestingly, um, you're sharing your bed with a lot of people mostly as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so most, it says here, most people slept communally. Um, snuggled up with a cosy assortment of bedbugs, fleas, lice, family members, friends and servants. Lovely. And if they were travelling, total strangers. Oh. And so first, I guess if you think about it, how much would you want to be in deep sleep during that time? Maybe sleeping next to a murderer or a robber. Well, interesting you should say that. What is it that normally happened during the watch this period of wakefulness and the research here says it's typically between 11 and 1 for example what do you reckon people did during the watch got up and had a wee um sex yes um although i imagine that's difficult with with your communal sleeping but there you go. Um, according to this article, people would do ordinary tasks such as adding wood to the fire, taking remedies, urinating. Right. Yes. Um, peasants oh. would do serious work. <laughs> so that could involve venturing out to farm animals, doing household chores, uh, combing wool, peeling, peeling the rushes, uh, patching cloth. So I don't want to be a peasant. One servant that they came across in the research brewed a batch of beer for her employer between midnight and two. But also, it says here, criminals would take the opportunity to skulk around and make trouble. And earlier on in the article, it talks about um, 
a court paper about a murderer who who would do his murdering during the watch. I think the watch would be at a different time of night now, wouldn't it? Because yeah. young people are up till all hours, aren't they? <laughs> so, you know, like yeah. even you know, in my you know, a club. You know, a club would close at yeah. 2 o'clock, that would be the latest. Yeah, between 11 and 1, some people haven't gone to bed yet. Yes, yeah. But I guess in the 17th century... There's nothing to do, is there? There's no electric to, light, yeah. there's no... Also, it became a time for religion. So prayers were part of the Christian um, the schedule. There was actually one prescribed for that time yeah. as well, yeah. Um Let's have a look. What else? Socialising, yes, and indeed, sex. Um, and it says here as well in in that um, the book A Day's Close, people would often just stay in bed and chat, share a level of informality and casual conversation that was hard to achieve during the day. It's quite convivial, doesn't it? That sounds a bit like you know when you're a kid and you go and stay at your friend's house and you just stay awake chatting until one of you falls asleep. Yeah. You know, you go, all right, night-night, lights out, and then, you, you know, you settle you down. still and chatted then, away. Yeah, there's actually something quite nice about that. Until you, one of you drifts off and the other one drifts off. Yeah, I, I think it sounds rather nice, a little, little cosy chat. Instead of panicking about Being not awake. sleeping. Yeah. Because there is a lot of... Um, there's a lot of concern when people wake up, and it says in the article here, uh, despite headlines about the prevalence of sleep problems, actually, we're in a pretty good time for sleep. And when, when they listed here the reasons why we shouldn't be uh, worried about um, our sleep patterns is, um, we don't have to worry about being murdered in our beds, freezing to death, picking off lice, the threat of fire or having strangers snuggle up next to us in bed most of us don't no (laughs) no mostly not (laughs) so yes so think of it as a golden age but talking about the reasons why we we don't have this what they call biphasic sleep anymore um although there are little pockets of it still around the world apparently that it also gives some examples in uh, the article so we depend on clock time Mm -hmm. and this sort of brought him with the Industrial Revolution, wasn't it? And at about the same time, we started to get artificial light. But also attitudes to sleep. Okay. What, is it, in what way? Is it? Yeah, don't, don't be lazy, you know, don't, don't have too much sleep. Or uh, of, you know, it's like the pressure oh, yeah, to... Yeah. yeah, you do feel a bit guilty if you have a little bit of a lie in. Yeah, you feel like you're being judged. Or if you go to bed early. yeah. Especially in the summer. But then also the paranoia about waking up in the middle of the night. The anxiety yeah. that that causes. I must admit, I do get... I get really tired and I'm like, right, I'm going to go to sleep now. And I turn off the light. And just in that movement of turning off the light, I'm awake again. And I can't get comfy and I can't settle and I get annoyed. And then in the morning, I'm like, why is my bed not as comfy as this when I'm trying to get to sleep? Anyway, anyway, so the, the article finishes with a, a, a nice paragraph, which I, I think sums it up, really. Let's say, so we may be missing out on confidential midnight chats in bed, psychedelic dreams, dreams and nighttime philosophical revelations, but at least we won't wake up covered in angry red bites. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So I like that. Biphasic sleep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, anything that involves sleep, I'm instantly interested in. <laughs> what have you got for me? Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's funny you've mentioned winter because winter was the thing that started me thinking about uh, what I want to talk about today, which is the other day I was driving and I saw a skein of geese. A skein? Is that what they're called? Yeah, like a V. Oh, yeah. Yeah, flying over. Are they not a gaggle when they're in a V? I think they are a gaggle, but when they're flying, they're a skein. Um, I've learned something new today. Yeah, that you. V formation is called a skein. So I'd seen those, and then a few days later, I was driving past Nestcliff, and there is a farm at Nestcliff that sells geese for Christmas. Oh. And there's a time of year, which is like now, when on in this field appear a load of geese, and you know that they're the Christmas geese. Oh. And in my mind, it's like, okay, this is the start of the turning of the season. And I remembered a time when Stuart and I were in Bude, I think it was, in October, and we were sleeping with the window open, and there was this noise that we were like, what on earth is that? And it turned out to be geese. It was early in the morning. It was geese flying past. And they were flying past, I kid you not, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. There were loads of them. Noisy as well. Really noisy. I got out of bed and I was like, they're just everywhere. And we were sort of up high up in the sort of eaves of this house, um, like on the the third floor maybe. Yeah, we were on the third floor. So I was sort of in the midst of them and there were literally thousands of them. So every time I see geese, I'm thinking, oh, October. And I started thinking about, but they always look like they're flying north. And it's colder up north. So I got into this whole thing about migrating birds. Okay. And um, and from that, oh my goodness, uh, it's quite complicated. Because uh, we all know, it, it, you know, the signs of, you know, swifts and swallows coming back because they've flown south for warmer yeah. weather. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but in the winter, you kind of don't notice they're not here. And then when they appear, you're like, oh, yes. They've been missing. They've been missing. Um and, and the same with these geese. So there, there are lots of different types of migration. So there are birds that migrate um, because they, um, they're in different countries. There might be too many of them. So this is called eruptions. Oh. So they go and live somewhere else because okay. just, there's just too many of oh, them. I like that, an eruption. Yeah. So... Um, so there's that. Then there's altitudinal migrants. So they don't go um, between north and south or east and west. Um, they go from lowland to highland. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So they head down to the lowland or head up to the highlands. Molt migrants, that's where they um, shed their old feathers to grow a new set. All birds do it, but some do it um, so that they can't fly anymore. So it makes, so they have, they know they're going to be stuck wherever they are. Wow. Uh, which I, shell ducks apparently do that. And so that once they're going to be ground birds or unable to fly, they need to be somewhere safer. Didn't even consider that oh, as a thing. Yeah. I just think a flying bird can fly all the time. Um, and then there are birds that they migrate for the summer, they migrate for the winter, um, they might be 
on a stop off here on their way somewhere else. And so it just turned into this whole massive <laughs> rabbit hole that I went down uh, to see why and how and how many and how far. And some of the distances that they travel are literally thousands upon thousands of miles. Wow. But then I found a website called Lists of Things. It's listofeverything.wordpress.com. <laughs> List of everything. Lovely. And that talks about... Um, lists of animals that migrate so it's not just birds uh there are other animals that uh let me go back because we have deer uh, don't we Elk. yeah animal migration here moose we go to moose. so this is um the whale that migrates the longest is the gray whale which migrates oh, about twelve and a half thousand miles wow. the insect that migrates the longest is the desert locust which travels about 2,800 miles. The butterfly that migrates the longest is the monarch, or monarch, which migrates up to 2,000 miles. Wow. And they talk about butterflies that fly, like, high up in the atmosphere, you know, not just flying around at the level that they're normally flying. They're taking advantage of the slipstream, the airstream. They're flying really high up to migrate. Wow. And, and they the, just go, go along in the breeze. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the land animal that migrates the longest is the caribou, which travels about 700 miles. Caribou. But um, basking shark migrate, bats, Canada geese we've talked about, caribou, dolphin, earthworm. I don't know. Earthworm? They don't expand on the earthworm. But frogs migrate back to their ponds. You think about eels, they go back yeah. to the Sargasso Sea. So, so actually there's quite a lot of <laughs> there's quite a lot of migration of animals. Eels go birds. to the Sargasso Sea, it's the weirdest it is Do they all go to the same place? Yeah. All to eels. breed. Yeah. Weird to breed. isn't it? I just don't when we think that homing pigeons are pretty impressive. Yeah. But how and you know, and trout at salmon they go back up to yeah. where they were spawned. That's really tough, isn't it? Just yeah. they jump up waterfalls. Yeah, weirs. Shrewsbury's got a, a quite a big weir, and lots of people go there. And you see, you can see them jump, and they're big buggers, and it's amazing. And you see them try and fail, and try and fail, and try and fail. They must get so tired, and then they make it, and you're wow. kind of like Yay. applauding them. Uh, so yeah, and then eat it, and then you eat it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they live in the sea, but they spawn in fresh water. Uh, reindeer, sea turtles, um, even zebras will migrate. I remember as a kid watching, you know, these sort of um, uh, programs about um, buffalo migration. You know that the, they'd have like helicopters and they'd be tracking them, and they'd at some time, you know, they just all follow each other. And then one of them goes off a cliff and then suddenly loads of them going off a cliff. And it kind of takes a while for everything to back up and realise this is not good. And I remember being fascinated. Uh, Wildebeest is, yeah. Um, They do this massive um, traversing of, of, of land for various reasons. But then just... Building on that then, this website that's got lists of stuff. I was oh, like, what other lists did you find? There's lists of all sorts of things. There's lists of, let me see what it says. Um, lists of vegetables that contain carbohydrates. Lists of veg- lists of all vegetables. 
Okay. Alright, if you were if you were interested. Um lists of let's have a look. Uh folk etymologies in English. <laughs> um so things like oh lists of most influential people in history, uh, lists of inventions that have shaped our civilization. So that in itself was I thought oh, that was quite an interesting find. I mean, I haven't got hours to read. Um but List of everything dot wordpress dot com. Uh, let's have a look. Prophet Muhammad. What do they say about that? Oh, he's in the list of most influential people in history. List of highly effective people. Clearly, your name's on there, Heather. Well, yeah, it goes to it only goes to a hundred. I think I'm probably hundred and two. Working my way up, obviously. From... <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. So win- wintering birds overwintering. Coming here for the summer, but it is the start of the turn of the season. We are moving into autumn. We are very definitely moving into autumn. And what we do know is in the winter, what time can we go to bed? (laughs) As soon as it goes dark. (laughs) Now Here's the Thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week, Heather. Recorded with an iPhone, a microphone and lots of hot air.